Welcome to the One Crossing Podcast. Here you can find past sermons along with other exclusive content. Our prayer is that God will move in your life even when you are on the go. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning, Crossing Church. How are you doing this morning? Oh, it's good to be in the house of the Lord, with the people of the Lord, learning from the Lord, spending time with the Lord and with one another. When you do that, the investment you make is always superseded by the dividends you receive. And uh, it's so, so great to be able to share with you. I want to welcome all of our 11 locations all over these three states. So thankful for each and every one of you. And I know God is doing incredible things in and through your life. And we want to also welcome everyone that's joining us from crossing inside at the five locations uh, in different prisons around here and everyone that's online. Uh, thankful for each one of you. And we're all looking uh, forward together for uh, Easter, right? How many are looking toward Easter and you're going, I can't wait for Easter? You know, I think that there's some people that are saying, you know, that's going to be the day that we come back. We're going to come back on Easter, uh, Easter weekend. And uh, I'm excited for that. I, I, I'm excited every week. I see faces, the uh, people I haven't seen for a long time. And as, you know, just the faithfulness of God as uh, we are reassembling. It's just, just incredible. It's just awesome. And I always look forward uh, to Easter and that whole weekend and what we get to share together. So, so good. And uh, because of that, I, I need to kind of give a disclaimer on uh, this service today. Because uh, I, I think that we need today to make Easter all the sweeter. And, uh, and I, I'll explain that in a little bit, because I'm going to be talking about the crucifixion of Jesus. I know it's Palm Sunday, and we can talk about the triumphal entry, and we can talk about, you know, Jesus throwing the money changers out of the tomb. There's so many good stories that happened on that previous weekend uh, to the cross and the resurrection. But I just want to spend some time talking about the cross. And I just don't think you can do that without being a somber circumstance. As a matter of fact, as you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you read the narrative of the cross, it's just too easy, I think, to read over it and to not let it affect you. You know what I mean by that? It's just, and I just feel like the greater the effect, the greater the power of the knowledge of the resurrection. And so I actually wrote my Easter sermon before I wrote this one, and it, it just pushed me into writing what I'm, what I'm going to share with you now. And I feel like you need to kind of put your seatbelt on because uh, I feel like I'm going to be pushing a beach ball down in the pool for 35 minutes. It, it's it's, it's going to be heavy. So I just want you to be prepared for that. Sometimes you just can't look away. You know what I mean? You're seeing something it's tragic and you just, you just can't look away. That's how I felt in February of 2004. Because in February of 2004, I, like many of you, went to a theater and saw a movie called The Passion of the Christ. And... Uh, we actually, the, our church, we were at one location then. We didn't have all these locations. And so we rented out a theater in Quincy, Illinois for the showing. 
It was sold out multiple times, I believe. And we knew, even though none of us had seen the film, we knew that it was going to be controversial. We knew that there was going to be graphic violence. There was this question about how do we handle our families and our children. I remember my youngest daughter, we said, no, you can't go. She was just too young to see anything like that uh, because I, I think that would have just been overwhelming. So there were those kind of choices that had to be made. And we were trying to figure out how we were going to process what we were going to see. And so we set up an area in the church building so that as soon as the movie was over, we could all come over to the church building around tables and we could pray together. Or we could talk. If you just needed to weep, you could do that. That turned out to be a really good move, I think, for a lot of people. It was for us. Roger Ebert, the Pulitzer Prize-winning film critic, said this of Passion of the Christ. He said it was the most violent movie he had ever seen. Now, that's a lot coming from a film critic. It didn't mean, though, that he didn't appreciate it. He really did. If you read the rest of his review, it was powerful how much he had appreciated it. And I have to tell you that when I started watching this film, when I sat in that theater... Uh, with all of these other people from the crossing in the same space, I was not prepared for what I experienced. And I don't think there was any way that I could have been prepared. Now, I've known about the crucifixion of Jesus my entire life. I was raised with the gospel. I was raised with Christian parents who... Uh, they didn't short that. I mean, I knew that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I knew what the mechanics of the cross was. I mean, I'd been to, uh, I, I grew up that way. I went to Bible college, for goodness sake, right? So I had this picture of it in my mind. And of course, there were some other Hollywood depictions of the crucifixion or the life of Christ, maybe not just particularly that moment, but enough that I'd have, I have these like, images in my mind. I'd gone to passion plays before, watched it depicted in a, in a live setting, in a passion play. I even in my high school youth group, I played Jesus on a cross during Passion Week. We had a portrayed at camps. Some of you may even remember uh, early on when we did Easter services, at uh, when we were a single location, we would do them at the junior high theater, and uh, we would do a depiction of the crucifixion and resurrection there. But there was nothing, listen, there was nothing in my imagination that even came close to what I experienced when I watched this movie and the range of emotions that I began to feel. It became to me much more than a story. And I was realizing that my imagination never did justice to what we're just talking about. The, the, the word passion is a derivative of a Latin word, but the way that we utilize that word passion or passions in the English language does not help us to understand the original meaning of the word. I would imagine you've probably heard the term passion with Jesus in this week, and you've probably wondered, why is that word in there? Because it's so misplaced. Because when we think about passion, usually we think about something that you have just deep feelings about, or maybe it has to do with love, right? Uh, when you think about love, 
relationship, marriage, something like that? Well, that's not what it means in, in its original definition. It actually deals with the idea of suffering and pain. Some of you are going, you don't know my marriage. <laughs> Specifically, it's talking about something that must be endured. And for the first time in my life, I actually think I saw it. I actually saw the crucifixion in that movie theater. When you think about the cross, when I think about the cross, we're trying to understand something that's very hard to understand, and that is this inescapable price for our sins. Now, we, this is something that we're supposed to do by faith, right? We're receiving the gospel by faith. And this idea of seeing something and accepting something by faith, those two ideas kind of slam into one another. It's hard for them to exist in the same space. But that is exactly what that movie did for me. It took my faith and it gave me this sight. It gave me this visual of something that I couldn't unsee. It changed me. I mean, that was in 2004. I've been in ministry for 25 years. Been to Bible college, done all that stuff I shared with you. <laughs> but it changed the way I viewed it. Now, I am not trying to tell you how you should feel about either what you saw or haven't seen. I'm not telling you to go watch this movie or how you're supposed to feel now that you have seen it if you did. I'm only gonna tell you how it made me feel. And it, how it demanded a response from me, because I think that those are shared. Responses are shared here. And it might not be the one that you thought about or maybe even you hoped for. Uh, I know that there were people that attended that movie that walked out. Lots of people walked out. I mean, maybe we want something different, you know? We, we feel abused. You can feel abused by going to see this movie. It is definitely passion, which is something to be endured. It's 126 minutes long, and over 100 minutes of that is absolute sheer brutality. And you might wish for more than that. You might wish for something more socially or emotionally acceptable, some version that's more G or PG. I only saw that movie one time, February 2004. I haven't seen it since because once was enough for me. I know some of you have come up to me after services and you say, I see that every Passion Week. That's fine. Some of you have made a decision that you're not going to see it. I'm not saying that that isn't fine either. I just want you to know about these emotions that come from it. The title of the movie was appropriate for what I was experiencing particularly the word passion in its original meaning. Because I have to tell you, while I was in that movie theater, it was truly something that had to be endured. It was a $30 million movie that grossed over $600 million, but not because people were entertained. I don't think that word could ever go with the movie. I was talking uh, to Loretta back in the green room a little while ago, and she goes, I remember actually seeing people that had purchased popcorn for that movie. And I thought, what are they doing? How could you watch this movie while eating popcorn? You just can't. 
You see what this movie did was it not only exhibited the passion of Christ, it stirred up incredibly powerful passions inside of me. And it's those passions that I wanna talk to you about today. And here's the first one. Some of you are gonna connect with me just because you know where I'm coming from. The first passion I felt sitting in that theater was anger. It was raw, incredible anger. Now, like I said, I know this story. All you have to do is go to the back end of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You can read it. I know the story. I know the facts. I know the main characters. But I never felt the anger for them that I felt in that moment. Think about it. Judas. Judas. Judas, who'd been with Jesus for three years, seen him work all these miracles, these incredible miracles that no human being on earth could ever do, and then sells him out for 30 pieces of silver after spending three solid years seeing that? How could he do that? Caiaphas, a guy who had the audacity to have the title high priest. There's nobody lower, nobody less of a priest than Caiaphas. And what he did they, when they blindfolded Jesus and hit him in the face and say, prophesy, which one of us hit you? When they beat him with rods, Caiaphas, Pontius Pilate, a guy who was known for his cruelty and his brutality, who didn't care anything about other human beings, just trying to find some political solution, some way of being able to say, I wash my hands from this man's blood, completely apathetic. Or Herod, a self-absorbed narcissist, puppet king set up by the Roman government who just wanted Jesus to come and question him for his own personal amusement, or the Roman soldiers who found it enjoyable to put a person through that much pain, never gave a second thought to it, or the mob, the hypocritical mob that just a week before were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, and now they're yelling, crucify him. We have no king but Caesar. There were so many villains, so many villains in this story. I just wanted to step inside of it. I wanted to step inside the, the story and fight. I mean, how dare they? How dare they? I knew this narrative. I knew it, but it didn't matter. And I felt like what was welling up in me was this holy anger. Let me ask you a question. Does what they did to Jesus make you angry? Can you see the absolute unfairness of it? Or is it like this passing of time? Oh, it's 2,000 years ago. You know, it's just ancient history. Does that make it less personal for you? Are we more concerned about who made who cry at Megan and Harry's wedding? Are we more invested in the betrayal of the latest episode of The Bachelor? Are we more angry about what somebody has done to us? What in the world is wrong with us? The most perfect person in the world was plotted against for selfish interest. He was betrayed, 
for 30 pieces of silver. He was rejected by those he came to save. He was abused, he was mocked, he was unjustly tried and convicted, and he was tortured to death over hours upon hours. How do you process that? Anger, passion. (laughs) But my passions weren't through with me because the second thing I felt, the second passion came alive in me was sadness and pity. I, I felt helpless. I felt helpless to stop it. You know, the, the, the movie had subtitles in mainly Aramaic. It was in, in its original language, which was very interesting. So uh, it, it was mostly in Aramaic, some Greek, some Hebrew. And the subtitles were like, they provided some comfort because I could actually look down. Like every time I looked down and read the subtitle, in a a small bit, I was disconnecting from what was on the screen. But it didn't offer very much. This is what happened to me, though. My anger started to cave in to to this brutality, to the inhumanity of it, and I just wanted it to stop. I just wanted it to end. I, I, this is gonna sound terrible. I was just thinking in my heart, would you just please die and get it over with? Nobody should have to endure this. I couldn't, I couldn't tell if I was feeling pity for Jesus or if I was feeling pity for myself for having to watch it. It was exhausting. I couldn't stop crying. How can people be so cruel? How can they be so heartless, so jaded? They could go through with those kinds of things. Are are, are we just more civilized than they were? I was just begging in my heart they would stop it, just stop it. So I wanna ask you a question. Do you feel sadness and pity at what happened to Jesus? Do you get a sense of the length of time he endured what he endured for you and for me. Is your reflection, like say when you take communion, is your reflection just for a moment? Or does it make you sit there long enough? Does it sit with you long enough to make you wanna be rid of it? Like I don't wanna think about it anymore. It's too uncomfortable now. Let me put it this way. Have you ever watched someone that that you love that is hurting? Maybe they're at the hospital, they're sick in some way. Maybe they're on hospice. Uh, Maybe it's it's relationship-based and they're just broken, their heart's broken and they're struggling and you wish, you wish that you could take it away or you could relieve it in some way. If you have felt that feeling, let me ask you this question. Why does it mean more to you when it comes to that person than when it comes to Jesus. Does that speak to who we are closer to and maybe why? The third passion that was raised up in me was this incredible guilt and shame, okay? It went from anger to pity and and sadness to guilt and shame. There was this like seismic shift in my emotions. It was violent to me. And all of a sudden it just occurred to me while I'm watching this, that he's being beaten and reviled and crucified and he's doing it all for me. 
I, I was not able to disconnect from it that way. It wasn't them and they and those. It was me. He was getting what I deserved. He was receiving the punishment for what I've done and what I continue to do. And it felt to me like I was being turned inside out. There was, okay, here we go. There was a part of me in all of the people that I just mentioned that I was hating. Instead of thinking about Judas being Judas or Caiaphas being Caiaphas or Herod being Herod, it was me. Because here's the truth. The unvarnished truth. I have run away from Jesus. I have denied Jesus. I've been proud and pompous in front of Jesus. I have plotted against Jesus. I have followed the crowd instead of Jesus. I have second-guessed Jesus. Me. And he was doing that, what he was doing for me. It was my fault. Now, how do you process that? Well, you know what? I think this is the one that we find the easiest to feel. I think most of us know we're guilty and we're well acquainted with shame. I think that's one of the things we deal with more than any other thing. Guilt and shame. We feel it all the time. Now, in this particular situation, I don't know how much of this was directed back to Jesus, but I do know that we're pretty much experts at feeling those two things. And so what do we end up doing? We manufacture excuses and rationalizations and comparisons, right? And we hold on to those things for personal comfort rather than just, you know, just being completely blown over by guilt and shame. And a lot of us, we get locked into this basement and there's like no way of getting out. Some of us right now, you're locked in a basement of guilt and shame. And you're like, how do I get out? I don't know how to get out. Is there some place for light and hope in my life? And this is kind of where the, this is kind of where the passion of Christ takes you. Like the story of what Jesus did takes you when you own it. When you own it personally. What happens in a human heart, when they own what Jesus did personally, when you realize he did it for you and you deserved what he received, there is this thing that forms in you. And I, I guess the only word I can use to describe it is desperation. And it has to be addressed. Fourth passion I felt was pride. Now, when you use the word pride, usually you're thinking about the sinful kind of pride where, you know, you're a proud person. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about I felt pride in him. Pride in him. I was fighting through the anger, the pity, the shame, and guess what? I found myself looking at my Savior. That's my Savior. He's saving me. He took the beating, he took the mockery, he took the torture, he took the brutality, he took all of it. He took it for me. That is how much my Savior loves me. That is how much your Savior loves you. Yeah, no one, listen, no one, 
No one else would ever do that for you. No one would do it for me. And I, I saw him on the cross and this started welling up in me. This pride started well, welling up in me. And I was realizing that how strong he is, how incredibly strong he is. I mean, you look at him on the cross, he's beaten near to death. He's almost bled completely out and how strong he is in the midst of that. True strength isn't measured by how much you can give out. It's how much you can take and not bend or buckle or break. He took it all. He paid it all. He endured it all. He did it to the end. How could I not be proud of him? Pride can be a good thing if it's pride in him. Can you find pride in him on the other side of your anger and your sadness and your self-pity and your guilt and your shame? Because it's in that place where you see yourself as you really are. But that's not all. You see your savior as he truly is. In that moment, it's where all of my inadequacy is covered up by his priceless provision. He's not just the savior anymore. He's my savior. What do you see? What do you see? Fifth passion I felt was relief. Finally, Jesus gave up his spirit. He had paid the debt. He had finished the race. He had made the sacrifice. And I watched as the tension and the pain left his face and his body when he breathed his last. And almost in concert with that, I felt my body and my heart release tension. I was worn out. I watched as they took him down from the cross and his mother held him as they washed him and wrapped him and buried him. Nothing left to give, nothing more to pay for. It was enough. All of us, all of us want and need relief. Don't we? And Jesus is the only one who can provide us with that kind of relief. Second to last thing he said on the cross was, it is finished, tetelestai, paid in full. That was his victory cry. And now it's our victory cry. It's yours. If you have Jesus in your heart, this is yours. My sins are gone. My course is set. My shepherd is near. My treasure is secure. My purpose is satisfying. My joy is full. My life is abundant. My hope is sure. My life is new. My troubles are temporary. My future is eternal. This is how I understand relief. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. Relief. You need relief? You're not going to find it anywhere else. Not the kind of relief you really need. The final passion that I felt was peace. 
The movie only briefly touches on the resurrection. I mean, it's just this tiny little sliver at the end. You see the rustle of a breeze-blown garment. You see the glimpse of a nail-scarred hand. A familiar face appears that's no longer torn and bloody, but resolute and purposeful and at peace. And I, I felt it. I felt that peace as well. See, I already knew the end of the story. I knew that this moment was going to come. I knew that Sunday was what made all that happened on Friday worth it. I already knew that. But with all of the other emotions that I had gone through, the peace that I felt in that moment was all the sweeter. I want to ask you a question. Can you look at the cross and yourself with all of the conflict and the contradiction and the chaos and the corruption of your heart, my heart, all of our hearts, and can you say today, it is well with my soul? You can if you know Jesus because Jesus has risen from the dead. And if he can do that, then he can raise you from a dead heart and a dead soul. So like we sing in the song, you can run out of that grave and live in the peace that flows out of an intimate, personal relationship with the resurrection and the life, Jesus Christ. So I'm asking you, what will you do with all of those emotions? How will you process all of that, all of that passion inside of you? Some of you are saying in your heart, I don't know what's going on, but I struggle having any feelings at all. Do you own that? You wonder if maybe you ought to say, why is that? Why do I struggle with that? You see, this isn't about what you know. I think most people in American culture have heard somebody say some way, tuned into some television, watched something. They've heard something about a historical Jesus that died 2,000 years ago on a cross. I don't think that there's a, a lot of deficit in what people know. The issue is not what do I know so much is how does it make you feel and what are you going to do about those feelings? And if you haven't found those feelings, you need to ask yourself why. I want you to know that in a moment, all of our locations, you're going to have an opportunity to act on that. Like, I want to know, I want to know that Jesus that stirs my heart up, that stokes the fire of the passion of my heart. I want to know that Jesus that'll make me feel these things so profoundly that it'll drive me into a relationship with him that's more intimate than I have ever known. And for those of you that feel that passion, what an opportunity to take all of the energy of those passions and lay them down 
at the foot of the cross and then let Jesus heal you to be healed in Jesus' name. I want you to think about that as we move to a time of decision. Thank you for joining us. A special thank you to those of you that choose to give to this ministry. It's because of your generosity that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description to give now or visit thecrossing.net forward slash podcast for more information. If you enjoy the podcast, be sure to subscribe and share with your friends, tagging One Crossing on social media. Thank you so much for listening.